Welcome to Assorted Conversations. The podcast with everyday people sharing stories of following their passions as they pursue happiness. Hey, Helen, my partner in crime. (laughs) Hey there, Maureen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good on this rainy Saturday. I know. I know. So the thing that we get to do on a regular basis is collaborate, which is new for both of us. Yeah. It's, um, it is a new experience to work so intimately with somebody on a thing that you're trying to achieve together. And we approach things very differently. We do. We do. And it's, and it's been fun and interesting. I mean, we've known each other for so long, yet I continue to learn things about you as we work on something together. I mean, our friendship has never put us in the position to collaborate on something together. So it's been really eye-opening to learn how you're hard- hardwired. And, and again, I know how I'm hardwired, but just how our personalities and, and our perspectives uh, really complement each other. But uh, it's certainly not without some some conflict before we get to that resolution. And I don't mean conflict in a harsh or a bad way, but just healthy conflict to work through some of the some of the issues. Right. I think it's actually one of the benefits for us is that we are willing, because we are such close friends, to engage in that difference of opinion and engage in the conflict because we both have the desire to see things go well. We want the, we want the best possible thing for our audience. Yeah, absolutely. It's again, it's been a lot of fun. I've le- I've learned a ton from you and I've learned a ton about you as we've as we've kind of worked through this. I think we both bring really unique experiences to this endeavor. It just helps us to create something that is hopefully holistically something that people really enjoy and can engage in because they see themselves in what we do. Absolutely. It's not unlike what this week's guest shared with us in her collaboration endeavor. We were lucky enough to sit down with Pam Conway, who is one of the co-writers of the short film, Here Lies Joe. It was a great experience talking with her. But we also want to make sure that we offer to our listeners a trigger warning. So the topic of our discussion is going to be suicide and suicidal ideation in some places. Um, So we want to make sure that you as our audience know and can elect whether or not to listen to this episode. Right. The whole premise of Here Lies Joe does focus on, on suicide. So it is a sensitive topic. And we just want our listeners to be aware of that. And again, make your choice if you want to continue listening. The film Here Lies Joe garnered 14 short film festival nominations. It won two um, in the 2016 Madrid International Film Festival. The film won Best Lead Actor in a Short Film. And in the 2018 Stories by the River Film Festival, which is a New England film festival, the film won the best ensemble performance. So it is certainly a film that garnered attention when it came out, several nominations in those two wins that I mentioned. At this point, consider it your spoiler alert. If you have not already done so, 
pause the podcast now. We'll wait. We'll be here when you get back. Jump down to our episode description and check out the film so that we don't ruin the story and the ending for anybody that is interested in listening going forward. So check out our conversation with Pam and we'll see you on the other side. Pam, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's so good to get to actually record and talk to you right now. And you are a good friend of Helen's. I am. That's right. We we met through our day jobs, and I discovered this this side job that Pam had, our side project. So, Pam, tell us a little bit about how you got involved with. Um, short film writing? Sure. Well, actually, uh, it was kind of a funny story. I had, uh, in my day job, we had hired uh, a videographer, somebody to run the studio where we make training videos, you know, teach people business skills, computer skills, that kind of thing. And we had to go into the city to visit a client. So I've got this new hire in my car. I'm his (laughs) boss. I'm just chit-chatting with him. You know, so I said, so, you know, what do you like to do when you're not working? And he said, well, I actually make short films. And I said, really, that's fascinating. And I said, you know, I, I'm curious, how do you find the time to do that? Because I like to write at the time I was working on a novel that's I'm actually looking at it right now, gathering dust on my shelf. But at the time (laughs) I was knee deep in trying to find time to write the novel And he looked at me and he said, you like to write? I said, yes. And it was sort of that, we both call that moment, like that aha moment when we realized, okay, we're actually probably going to be friends and not just work together. Um, And it kind of rolled from there. So, you know, once he knew I liked to write, he would oftentimes, as he was working on other short films, would say, hey, can you read this for me? Or can you tell me what this thinks? Or what you think about this? Or, you know, he'd call me up sometimes like 1130 at night. I need to dialogue quickly. I need you to, I need you to rework this dialogue for me. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got started. It just sort of organically came out of this newfound friendship. Sounds like a kindred spirit. Definitely. Yeah. It, it, it's funny. I find when, when, cre- when two creatives kind of meet and, and like you said, you have that aha moment, that's when things get kicked into full gear. Definitely. How did you guys come to collaborate on the short film, Here Lies Joe? So that's a pretty great story, too. Actually, as we, uh, you know, became a closer and closer friends, you know, we would do what friends do, right? You know, you hang out on a Saturday night and have a couple of cocktails and you start talking about things. And the two of us really love uh, character-based stories as opposed to, you know, I, I juxtapose that uh, against sort of plot-based stories, right? So I think about a movie like, I don't know, Mission Impossible. That's all plot-based, right? You just got the action, you're moving from one scene to the next, as opposed to those films that are more slow burns where you're really looking at characters. So a movie like from this year, like Nomadland or something like that, that's so much more character-based. And that's what we both love. So we would sometimes be out to dinner and we would either make up characters for ourselves or we'd look at other people in the restaurant and we would give them names and backstories and all this crazy stuff. And 
it was basically just started out of that. We just started talking about these characters and putting them in these crazy situations to entertain ourselves. And Mark said, you know, we should, we should make this a short film. Like we should do this. This could be cool. So that's kind of how it started. And it was actually really probably about a year of us doing that, like batting stuff back and forth and coming up with ideas and you know, we actually have another version of the script that's really different from what ultimately we ended up filming. Uh, but yeah, that's how it started. Oh, what a right. You know, and it's funny, you, you bring up plot-based versus character-based. One of the things that I loved about Here Lies Joe was the character development for everybody. I mean, the two main characters, Joe and Z, but then even the folks that were only in one scene in the group session Every single one of them, a personality emerged through their dialogue, through their actions, through um, their mannerisms. And that was one of the things I I really loved about the film. Well, you know, it's interesting about that because it's really, you know, just the first scene where we have other characters in it, uh, you know, the the group scene. Um, We actually kind of shelved the story for a little while because I told you we had that initial draft of the script and it just, it's hilarious. I and mean, there's some great stuff in it, but it, it it just wasn't working. It wasn't coming together in the in the way that Mark wanted. So we kind of put it aside, but I still was really intrigued with these characters. So I took it upon myself just for fun to write a short story about how Joe and Z met. And I thought it would be funny if they met in this, you know, group therapy session for, you know, people who are kind of like addicted to suicidal thoughts, which actually is a thing. I mean, it's that, that type of therapy is real. That type of group therapy is real. And so I put them in that setting. That's how they met. And that's why those characters, those side characters kind of feel more alive, I think, than they ordinarily would have, because they had a whole story that they were featured in. So I think that's why that scene is so is is as rich as it is. And I shared it with Mark and he was like, oh, this is great. This is so good. And that was the jumpstart for him to reconnect to the story and to connect it to connect to it in the way that he needed as a filmmaker to bring it to life. Tell me what surprised you most about collaborating with another creative person. Um, The number of arguments we had. They were all in in good fun and in you know and ultimately in the spirit of the work. But uh, I think you know both of us felt so passionately about the characters and the story that and and luckily you know most of the time we were in alignment. But on a couple of occasions when we had differing ideas of you know what should happen or where we were going, uh, we had a we had a couple of really good uh, knockdown dragouts. But it was all in service of the story and. Uh, and, and, you know, it was it was not mean spirited in any way. And ultimately, I think that that energy uh, helped us get to the right answer. I feel like Helen and I can relate hard to that. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, not at all. <laughs> but, it, but we found that we had uh, very different ways in which we think and operate and that it could be frustrating, but it was also incredibly um, enriching. It would enrich the entire process that we were doing. Yeah, definitely. The subject matter of Here Lies Joe, suicide, addiction to suicidal thoughts, 
suicide prevention. Um, I, you know, I know you personally, I was really taken aback that that was the topic or kind of the theme of the film was that just to explore the dark side of characters, because I do find dark humor funny. Um, and I did find in spite of the, the topic that the movie had some really great lines and some funny moments. Um, was So was it spurred more by exploring the dark side or was there a personal reason why the the topic of the movie was the topic of the movie? Yeah, so it, it was personal in a lot of ways. Um, Mark, uh, he had uh, somebody close to him who, who uh, I don't like to say... Um, you know, committed suicide. I, I prefer to say that, you know, he died from the symptoms of his depression really is, is what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was very young in my twenties, I had a bout of severe clinical depression that, you know, luckily I came out of, but there was a period when I was in that really dark year where I was never exactly suicidal, but there it gave me great calm to think that if I can't take this, I don't have to. It actually gave me a sense of peace and comfort, which is something that, you know, when I was doing some some research on this about people who go to those types of steps, uh, those stepped programs for um, for suicide, they have those same thoughts that they sort of become addicted to this idea that they can, you know, they can, uh, you know, opt out anytime they want. And so I think coping mechanism rolls over into something that's more pathological. So that was sort of the in, inception of it. But what Mark and I both wanted to do, because he's had some some struggles himself with depression in the past, is we wanted to show that it's not, for anybody who hasn't gone through that experience, it's not what you think, right? It's not that you're constantly crying or, you know, moping around or you can't get out of bed or, you know, sit in a dark room. Yeah, I did all of those things when I was really depressed. But that didn't mean I didn't have moments where I laughed, or I didn't have moments where I, you know, had dinner with friends or seemed perfectly normal to everybody else who was looking at me when in point of fact, I was dying inside, right? Right. And so that's why it was important to us when we did this, that we showed that even when, you know, that, that even in your darkest moments, there are these little slivers of light, right? And that's important for people who are feeling depressed, right? You hold on, you jump from one moment of light to the next to get you through. And then for people who have never suffered that, but are around people who do, you know, we wanted to basically say, look, even they, they may look like everything's fine, but it's not, they can still laugh. That doesn't mean that their depression is over. So we wanted to sort of you know, look at it from from that perspective and have humor in it because that's reality. That's that's the way it goes when you live with depression. To your point, people around you wouldn't necessarily know what's happening and don't necessarily know how to react to it. I also think it's more common than people think. And yeah. so you know, shining a light on it and talking about it openly. I think is so helpful. Right. And, you know, it's funny because Mark and I still talk about these kinds of things. And um, what I always say now when I, because sometimes I still have feelings. It's now though that I realize it's more that 
my soul needs a vacation. That's how I define it now that I'm just tired of being human. Like if there was, you know, if there was something I could do where I didn't have to be in a body for, you know, three or four days, I could come back totally rejuvenated and ready to hit it again. But unfortunately, can't have that kind of vacation. So, you know, it's just an understanding when I have those feelings, it's that my soul is seeking something that it's not getting. Um, and, 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 and that has helped me a lot uh, over the years. You've been writing for a long time, too. How, how long? When did you start writing? That's a great question. I think uh, the answer is I've always written. I think the question should be, when did I start thinking of myself as a writer? as opposed to somebody who writes, you know, you know what I mean? The difference. Yes. Yes. Um, and that probably for me, um, tragically didn't really happen until I was close to 40. And, uh, I think part of the reason was I, you know, I've always loved to read. I've been a huge reader. Um, and books are so important to me. And actually this does go back to that time in my twenties when I was really, really depressed one of the things that got me through that year when I would be at my lowest moments, when it started to feel like, you know, those suicidal ideations could become more realistic. The thing that always sort of drew the line for me was, but I can't go yet. There's too many books I haven't read. And the irony is that through that whole year, like this is one of the things I don't tell you when you're really depressed that for some people they can't read. Like you don't have enough concentration to read. And I couldn't, I didn't read anything for probably uh, 18 months. And, but it was so important. I kept buying books and I kept, I always had books around me. And I, to this day I do, I have in my house, like a whole wall of books and I've not read all of them. Some of them I have, but a lot of them I haven't. And physically having them there is a tangible reminder for me of, I still have things to do here. Right. There's still stories to be known. Right. And I think because uh, books are so important to me, I didn't, it's like a sacred, books are sacred to me. And so it took me a long time to, you know, to put myself in that realm, right? To say, I am a writer too, right? Because writers to me, they're like, uh, you know, priests and shaman. I mean, they are the important spiritual figures in my life. And I thought how bold of me to say yes, and I too am a writer. (laughs) I think Um, that's amazing. That's amazing to own your own um, power. That's a power that you saw in others that you said, wait a minute, that's in me. I have that. Hmm. So I, I commend you because at any age, owning your power is a big step to thriving yeah. in life. And you know, it's interesting when I was, uh, when I was starting, I always joke and say it's when I came out as a writer. <laughs> so when I finally came out and admitted it in public, uh, you know, one of the things I, I started hearing a lot of is that a lot of writers, it takes them about 10 years of writing before they're willing to say, I am a writer. And I also think it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to claim uh, being a writer for yourself based on how many books or stories you've published or, you know, how how the volume of your writing, right? I mean, that's, uh, to me, that's all, that's crap, right? Because ultimately you write for yourself. You write the stories that are important to you. You write the stories you want to read and the audience is secondary, right? You hope you have something to share, but the point is, 
your soul needed to tell that story for whatever reason. So that's in and of itself sufficient. So what's it like when you release that to an audience? Uh, terrifying. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was terrifying. Uh, <laughs> I think it was more so for me than Mark because he had he had previously um, already done a number of short films. So he sort of already knew the experience. But he always describes his film as his children. And I get it. I mean, that's how I, I feel about Here Lies Joe as well, you know. Um, but it was, uh, we, we did, uh, we had a premiere. We had rented the whole place and we had, you know, friends and family. And it was a big audience. The place was totally full. And the actors came up from the, uh, the actors, um, uh, Andy and Dean, the two main actors, they came up from New York City. So they were there and, and it was, you know, it was really exciting. But then when the, when the whole place went dark and the movie started to play, I had this like panicked feeling in, in my, like I couldn't barely breathe because I was like, what if everybody hates it? What if they don't get it? What if they think that we're being, like we're making fun of suicide, which was the absolute last thing we want to do. Like, what, was the humor going to land? Was it going to seem inappropriate? You know, what, how are people going to react to it? And we were going to do a Q&A afterwards. So I was dead scared for that now, right? That I'm in this total panic mode. But it was really amazing because after the whole thing was done, this person came up to me that I did not know uh, and grabbed my hands and, you know, with tears in her eyes said, thank you so much for this movie. Uh, she said, um, I can't remember now. It was so long ago. I can't remember if it was her son or her brother had committed suicide. And she said, this feels like the most honest thing I've ever seen about suicide. And I was like, so choked up. I was so overwhelmed by that, that, you know, I thought, okay, if this doesn't land with anyone else ever, and everybody else thinks it's crap, I don't care. Because if all I did was help bring this movie into the world for this one woman to help her feel more understood and ease her pain, I'm good. Like, I'm fine. Tap me out. That's enough. Oh, that's awesome. There's a, um, not to bring it around to, to business, but there is a, a like a business uh, guru guy. Helen, you probably know him. What's his name? Um, Simon, Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek, yes. Yeah. And his whole concept of finding your why. Yes. So if anybody doesn't know Simon Sinek, you can Google it. He's got a TED Talk. He talks about finding your why. And in the middle of doing, uh, working on Here Lies Joe, I watched that podcast or the, the TED Talk, I'm sorry. And you know, he talks about regardless of what your profession is or what you do, you have to figure out what your why is. And I figured out what my why is, which is I always want people to feel like their story is heard. That's what I want. So in telling stories myself, I gravitate toward telling stories that aren't necessarily happy stories that are complex stories that are painful stories that um, feel uh, untold or unsung. That's important to me. I, you, you know, it's funny. I can kind of um, sympathize with that, that feeling of vulnerability. And I think anytime you take something that is authentically you and put it out there, there's always that um, feeling of, Gee, I hope it gets liked, but at the same time, to your earlier point, it is a story that you needed to tell, and you're just kind of waiting in the wings to see what the reaction is going to be. 
Yeah, and I feel lucky that I that I was able to meet her, and she said that to me because somebody else could have had that experience, but they, you know, they could have just gotten to the website and watched it, and I would have, you know, I don't have any way of knowing, but I was really, I, I feel um, very, very lucky that that I was able to talk to her directly. Pam, in in your darkest time, how do you think you would have reacted to Here Lies Joe if you saw it? Yeah, that's a great question, Helen. I, I would like to think that, uh, I believe that I would have felt really understood. I really do in that yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think if you talk to anybody who knew me back then, um, I was okay. I was not like the Z character. All right. I mean, she's just like over the top crazy, but. I was sort of like her in that I outwardly seemed like everything was fine. I mean, that's why it's important. The scene where Carol, you know, says, oh, you're just an attention seeker. You know, you're not, you don't really have any problems. And that's, I think if I had told anybody that I was feeling that way when I was going through this, that that would have been people's reaction. Like, no, you're not. Right. Um, You know, and somebody can have this zest for life as Z does, right? I mean, this zeal for living, but yet at the same time, be completely ground down by it. So I I think I probably would have felt really understood because, and, you know, Mark and I both say there's a lot of each of us in those characters. It happens. I mean, when you, when you write anything, you end up, you know, yourself seeps into it in some way. Right. So after the movie was made, talk to me a little bit about what happened once it was released. How did it get entered into the short film festivals that they were entered into. What was that like to see your baby on parade almost? (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that was interesting. I mean, it was more exciting for me than Mark because he'd done that dance a few times. But um, basically after we did the premiere to friends and family, we then started submitting it to different film festivals. You know, it showed in different places in Europe, Spain, England, uh, Germany, uh, you know, we uh, ran in two different New York film festivals. Um, the uh, actress, Andy, uh, originally from the Chattanooga area in Tennessee. So uh, she submitted it to the Chattanooga Film Festival and they played it, which was great. Our The shining crown, though, of our film festivals was the Napa Valley Film Festival. And uh, that was pretty amazing because, you know, you had a lot of Hollywood types there and it was over the top. I mean, it was, you know, what you would think of like a Hollywood film festival. You know, there were, there definitely were stars there. Every screening you go to, there are different vineyards there and they're just pouring their wine. Like it's all, you know, just as much as you can drink. It was crazy. I drank so much wine. It was insane. (laughs) Anything in Napa Valley sounds like a good choice. It was great. I mean, it was really, it was, and, and you know, the thing that was rewarding there for me was so many of the films that we were blocked with they were so good I mean they were right some of them were not as good as others but some of them were so good it was just like wow you know this is pretty amazing so what goes on like when you when you're in the audience and your film is playing where is your head at what's going on typically what happens is they run a block of you know depending upon how long the films are you know, four or five films, and then there's a Q&A. And you, know, you go up on stage, and then people in the audience can ask you questions. Um, and, uh, it, you know, you never know what you're gonna, you never know what you're gonna get. 
What was the most interesting question you got? Question I think um, that got me the most was actually a question I was not on stage to answer. Mark and Dean, I think, were the ones who were on the stage. I don't remember what their answer was, but all I remember is when they were done, I told them you were wrong. You gave the wrong answer. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to tell you the question and I'll tell you what I think the right answer was. So somebody had stood up in the audience and questioned why we had such a negative portrayal of uh, Tim was the actor who played, um, I forget blanking his name right now, the guy who was the lead of the group. You know, he was kind of a little bit of a, you know, he was supposed to be a little bit of a boob, right? I mean, he had all those uh, bumper sticker statements and, you know, everything. And so why do we portray them so negatively? And like I said, I don't remember what they said, but what how I would have answered that question is, this is through Joe and Z's eyes, this story. We're telling it through their lens. So it's not that we feel that way. There were many, many therapists in my time who've helped me tremendously. And I applaud what they do. I encourage anybody to seek me- uh, you know, mental, mental health, uh, therapists, counseling, psychiatrists, pharmacology, if that's helpful to you. All of that is so important. But for Joe and Z, in order to tell their story, at that moment in their story, nothing was helping them. And they thought it was all bullshit. So we had to find a way to portray that in not a lot of time, right? Because it's a short film. I don't have 90 minutes or two hours to tell a story where we can see competent therapists that Joe and Z are scoffing at, right? I have this like little tiny window. So we had to portray it that way in order to show what Joe and Z were bumping up against in their own realities. Um, so that was, that was, uh, that was the question that I, I uh, wished I had been able to answer because that is not the impression I wanted anybody to have coming out of that movie of how we feel about therapy and its importance. It was more, we needed to see where Joe and Z's minds were at in this moment in time. And it was therapy is crap. That's where their minds were. After watching the movie and not, not, realizing I was watching it through Joe and Z's lens. Yeah. It it really kind of changes some right. of my memories about uh, about how how the plot unfolded. Yeah, I um, I mean I recall growing up <laughs> being raised Irish Catholic, it was taboo. Oh, it yeah. was it mm-hmm. was something that was um so horrible and it's how do you how do you balance that when your entire um, learned experience as a child is that it's it's absolutely wrong it's outright right. wrong to do so I appreciate how we've grown as a society to better understand it I do too and that you know it, it's um, there actually for me is a, a a spiritual element in here lies Joe uh, and you know you can look at it from the lens of it being a higher power or just Joe and Z's higher consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. So in the film, Joe, uh, Z asks for a ride and Joe says, well, where are you going? I don't have a lot of gas. And she takes him on this sidebar trip, you know, through her favorite cemetery. And then ultimately that evening when he goes to finally execute his plan, he runs out of gas, right? So right. the hope was that would be kind of like a funny moment. Like here's this guy, he can't even kill himself, right? He runs out of gas. but there also is that higher power moment, which is Joe knew he didn't have a lot of gas, right? right? So if he knew that and was really serious about it, then 
he shouldn't have gone on this little joyriding expedition with Z. He should have saved his gas, got to where he was going to go and made sure he had enough to get himself done. But he didn't. Right. So there was some part of him or something, you know, somebody put Z in his path and made her intriguing enough for him to take this little detour that ultimately ended up saving his life. Same thing with Z. She's in the bathtub. She mm-hmm. picks the record, right? I mean, this woman is like setting a mood, right? <laughs> like that's important <laughs> to her. She picked the record. It's her record player. She must have known there was a skip in the record, right? And that was going to ruin the moment. And then that was off. Like if the moment wasn't right, if it wasn't perfect, she wasn't going to do it. So same thing, right? So it's some higher element in themselves that allowed them to hold on for just one more day. And that's, to me what you have to do when you're when you are in the throes of this and that's what project semicolon is which is just pause don't stop don't put the period just pause and um so for me that was that was really important in this movie too is to is to show you know what it takes to string the next day together and you know for joe the thing that was going to string him into the next day was getting that stack of pancakes right Right. right. And watching Z enjoy her her maple syrup. Oh, the maple syrup is key. That's As someone who Oh, literally <laughs> moved back from Colorado because they did not have it. <laughs> well, that was that line is in there because those words came out of my mouth to Mark when we were going through this, which was I, I don't remember how maple syrup came up, but I said if it was socially acceptable, I would drink it. I love it. Pam, you may be my sister now. (laughs) Pam, have you, have you and Mark found that Here Lies Joe has a new relevance given what the entire world has gone through in the past year? That's actually a great question, Helen. And to be totally frank with you, I honestly haven't thought about it. I, uh, I think part of the, part of the reason is, and you know, Mark, says this, and I feel this too in work I do, which is once something is done, your mind mentally moves on to the next project. (laughs) Maureen and I have discussed this at length. Yeah, It's a creative thing, isn't it? It is. Like you release it and it's out in the world and it just goes where it needs to go. Yeah. I have a friend who's a painter. She's incredibly talented. I once said to her, how do you know when a painting is done? And she does things on scale. I mean, they're huge, huge, massive pieces. And she said, I know a work is done when the next one shows up in my mind. And I got that. It was like, you know what? Yeah, I got you on that. I totally know that feeling. But that's when I know I'm done because the next story is invading. The next group of characters want want my attention. And that's, um, you know, in a lot of ways, what what has happened with the with your lies, Joe, you know, we sort of just move on to the next creative things. But I think that's a great idea, Helen. I should talk to Mark. Are you and Mark planning to collaborate further, maybe on different projects? Yeah. So we keep talking about trying to find something that we can do jointly again. I mean, we've not co-written anything since here lies Joe, but I have helped him. You know, I, I helped produce another film and. Uh, you know, a lot of that is just some back breaking work about trying to find the money and, you know, and, um, all of that. And I have helped with, uh, like I said, you know, some, uh, spot work on, um, scripts here and there. Uh, so, but this is nice. It helps me sort of still keep my foot in 
that uh, cinema world, which is great. And I've, I've learned so much about visual storytelling, which is very different than telling stories with words. Right. Uh, and it actually, you know, it, interestingly, it's made me a better writer. It's made me uh, um, a more succinct writer. I think, and I go back and look at some of my earlier short stories. Oh my gosh, I was so, I was in love with my big words. This is embarrassing to look at now. <laughs> if you're a reader and you enjoy reading, your vocabulary becomes just very expansive. And I find that is the thing, especially when I'm writing, because I also love to read, to keep it simple and yeah. keep it concise is a challenge. Yep. <laughs> uh, it is for me. <laughs> well, and, and, and you're talking to two ladies who can burn up the phone lines for two hours on a random Tuesday night. So concise really sometimes isn't in either of our vocabularies. <laughs> and two hours is being kind. That's right. It's usually yeah. longer. That's we usually make okay. note that we're at the two hour mark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've, we've hit the two hour mark. We should continue to talk about that. How much battery power do you have left? <laughs> but you know, it's, it's friendships like that and, and those types of conversations out of which these interesting endeavors come. I mean, clearly your podcast evolved out of that. And definitely the work with Mark on movies and Here Lies Joe totally came out of our two, three, four hour friendships, you know, in my backyard with a fire going. And, you know, we're talking about life and experiences and characters and, you know, it's, it's great. I mean, that's the joy of it all, right? I mean, that's, that's why we're here. Oh, absolutely. Pam, after, you know, coming through the, the short film writing uh, of Here Lies Joe, how has that influenced your writing moving forward? Yeah, so um, it was a little bit exhausting. So I had a little bit of a, a, a fallow period. But then when I revisited, the interesting thing was I felt like I had, I guess for lack of a better word, matured in my writing style or creative process beyond where I was having worked on my novels. That's kind of why it's a little bit on the shelf. Like I went away and did this other creative thing and it changed me so much. I was such a different person when I came back to the novel. It was like, I, I can't write this now. Like this is, I'm just totally different in the way I think about things and see things. And this, these store, this story isn't going to work. Um, so I think that was probably the most interesting thing that happened to me. Now that said, I haven't given up on the novel, but it's, so it's still sitting there, but <laughs> um yeah, and someday I'll get back to it. My, I, I uh, have a working title of Memoirs of a Dairy Queen. All right, Pam. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us on Assorted Conversations, share your journey through short film writing. Um, it has been fascinating and eye-opening and really interesting to hear about your process, what you've gone through, um, and, and, and how it's kind of changed your forward your forward motion. So thank you so much for your time. It has been a pleasure chatting with you. Oh, it was my pleasure entirely. This was a blast. I'm just so grateful that Helen shared you with me so that we could share you with others. Thank you. Now I got to go write something else. So you guys will have me back. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, we're gonna schedule that right now. <laughs> 
absolutely loved our time with Pam. Um, Got a lot out of that conversation from the writer's perspective, the short film perspective. But I think the one thing, Maureen, she shared with us that really resonated with me that you pointed out, she owned her power at a certain point. Um, But I found it really interesting that she didn't give herself permission right away to call herself a writer. She considered herself somebody who wrote. And it kind of, you know, rang true for me with the comedy that I never considered myself a comedian. I considered myself somebody who was attempting to do stand-up comedy. So I just really found that um, was it was very interesting when we put people up on pedestals or we are just so enthralled with people's power, whether it's, you know, through writing, through comedy, that we are so skeptical or so stingy with giving ourselves the same, the same kind of title, much like Pam looked at writers as her gurus. I looked at comedians as, as folks who were superheroes with this superpower to be able to make people laugh. And I I just never considered myself part of that group. And I I just thought it was interesting. It took so many years for her to get there. You know, it's important, I think, that for ourselves and for our listeners, that we recognize that whatever we are accomplishing, we are that thing. We are doing that. If we are podcasting, we are podcasters. If we are doing art, then we are artists. We can be, in fact, multiple things and own those things as being part of who we are. Getting the opportunity to talk to Pam, she was so relatable. She was so much like us that she reminded us that we can own what we do and what we enjoy and be those things. We're not, we're not faking it. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. We're not imposters. So, you know, I know that the, and that's a wonderful piece of what we talked about, but the topic that we talked about was really a sensitive topic. So for any of our listeners who may be in acute crisis, we do want to make sure that you pause and you reach out for help. The National Suicide Prevention Line is available and it's available 24 7. It is 800-273-8255. And your being well matters to us. Another resource, if you or a loved one is struggling with mental illness, suicide, addiction, or self-injury, is Project Semicolon. And a semicolon is used when an author could have chosen to end their sentence, but chose not to. We are all the authors of our lives. So Maureen and I encourage you, if you're getting to that point, don't stop, just pause and please visit the Project Semicolon website for additional resources. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Assorted Conversations. It's been great having you and we hope you've enjoyed this conversation with short film writer, Pam Conway. And don't forget to go and check out Here Lies Joe. It's a great film to watch. The link is in the episode description. Don't forget to join us next Wednesday for a new episode of Assorted Conversations. We look forward to having you back. Take care. 
If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Rate and review us wherever you download your podcasts. Become part of the Assorted Conversations community on Facebook, the place for listeners to connect, share, and support each other as we all pursue what makes us happy. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All links to our social media accounts are in the episode description. Thanks for joining us. And until next week, be bold, be blind, and pursue your passions.